Summer is over. Summer's over. Kids are back in school. Parents, kids are back in school, amen. And uh, that might mean more work for you if you're like my wife who homeschools. It's a lot of work now. <laughs> it's always a lot of work. But kids are back in school. Summer is over. We just finished our series for the summer last week. We went through the book of James, like verse by verse, through the book of James all summer long. And so that means today we're going to start a brand new series. And so we're going to start a brand new series today um, called God-Sized. Uh, maybe you've seen uh, when you go in the checkout line, there's different size candy bars. You got fun size, which is not fun at all. Can we just be honest about it? Fun size Snickers is not fun. It's too much work for the, um, if I'm going to eat candy, there's a certain caloric intake I'm willing to participate in. And for fun size, I just have to, when you have to like physically open one bite at a time, uh, maybe, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe you, you give up and you stop eating, but I like the, the king size. Come on, somebody. And uh, well, there's, a, there's another size that we're going to be talking about, and that is God-sized. And there's several things we're going to talk about in this series, uh, but today I'm going to start off, and we're going to talk about having a God-sized dream. A God-sized dream. Do you have a dream for your life? Or maybe, maybe you're searching for that dream. But the, we all maybe have had some kind of goal or, or a dream in our lives, and, and I challenge us today that there is a God-sized dream for your life. The kind of dream where others go, yeah, right. Yeah, that's a God-sized dream. A kind of dream that, like, that it, it, you really can't do on your own accord. A God-sized dream is a dream that can only happen with God. A God-sized dream. A God-sized dream is something that fuels your life, something that fuels your prayer, fuels your faith, fuels your work, and it almost even in some way defines you because your God-sized dream is probably interconnected with your purpose in life. We're going to talk about someone in Scripture that had this very God-sized dream. He's probably one of my more favorite uh, characters in all of Scripture. We can read his story in the book of Genesis from chapters 37 all the way through the end of Genesis. And we're going to talk about a, a, a boy named Joseph that had a God-sized dream. Joseph was the youngest of many brothers, 12 brothers, and Joseph was seen by his father as the favorite because Joseph was born to uh, 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 Jacob, also called Israel. He was born to him in his old age, and so he, he just, uh, you know, youngest child syndrome. I mean, maybe, maybe you're one of many siblings, and you kind of look at the youngest child in your, in your family. I'm one of four boys. I'm second in the or birth order, and my youngest brother, his name is Trey, and uh, all the time, my older brothers and I, we, we always give my mom such a hard time. And you're like, you know what? Trey got everything. <laughs> Trey doesn't remember drinking, uh, what, what do you call that, the dry milk powder? He doesn't remember that. That, that dude got whole milk. <laughs> we drink powdered milk. 
Trey got video games. Trey got TV. You know what we got? We got the radio TV with the antenna. It was this big. It only worked out on the front porch. So we'd be out there in the winter bundled up, huddled around a four-inch black and white screen, somebody with their hand on the antenna to get better reception, watching Home Improvement. That's what we got. But Trey, oh, Trey got it all. Trey had a TV in his bedroom, and that was never allowed when I grew up. What's, what's going on here? He was obviously my parents' favorite. I don't resent him at all. I don't resent him at all. At all. Trey drove nice cars. Trey had all these great privileges. We were rewashing one-gallon Ziploc bags because that's how poor we were. Trey, Trey had it made. Well, Joseph's the youngest brother of, of many, more than just four. He is seen as a favorite by his father, so much so that his father gave Joseph a very special coat made of many colors, and you better believe that Joseph wore that coat proudly, so proudly that it annoyed his older brothers. And we, we will see just how annoyed his older brothers were. Let's take a look in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, I want you to remember this, that, that he, this portion of the story, Joseph is 17 years old. And Joseph was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, because his, uh, his, his father's wife. So his father Jacob had, had more than one wife. I don't recommend it. And he brought their father a bad report. So not only is Joseph the favorite son of Joseph, or his favorite son of Jacob, uh, also called Israel, uh, not only is he the favorite son, but he's a tattletale. So he runs to his father and makes a bad report about his brothers. Now Israel, who's the, the father, loved Joseph more than all his other brothers because he was born to him in his old age, and he made for him an, an, uh, an, an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than, than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. But Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Here's the thing. When God gives you a dream, your dream and the purpose for your life will likely stir up resentment in other people that haven't found their purpose yet. It will, it will draw up the insecurities in them. And so don't be surprised if your God-sized dream in your life attracts haters. It will. It will attract haters and doubters and naysayers and people that will talk negatively. How in the world would you ever do something like that? You're Joseph. You're just a little tattletale rat. Well, that's, that's how his dreams were first encountered, with doubt and criticism. And he said to them, he said, listen, I had a dream. And in this dream, uh, we were binding sheaves of grain out in a field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. And they're just like, mm, I hate this kid. <laughs> and they said, do you intend to reign over us? 
Will you actually rule us? I can imagine them laughing and snarling. And, and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. He said, hey, listen. Uh, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. <laughs> what do you think of my dream? He even told it to his dad. When he told it to his father as well as his, his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, the sun and the moon, and, and all your brothers, all the 11 stars, actually bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. Because, but his father kept this matter in mind. A God-sized dream. God-sized dreams are always met with some kind of hostility and doubt. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that God-sized dream? Well, the first thing I want you to know is, is even for you that God has a dream for your life. God has a dream for your life. The, God, the God-sized dream for your life you will find your life's purpose and value in it. You absolutely will. People all around the world, all different vocations, all different statuses of society, both the, the, the poor and the wealthy, all go to bed at night with the same question, why am I here? And those that think they're here to attain material possessions and money, when they attain it, they realize they're still empty inside, and they're asking the question, why am I here? And maybe you're here today because you're looking for the answer to why you're here. And, here's, and here it is. God has a dream for your life. He has a dream for your life. Jeremiah 1.5 says it like this, before I formed you in the womb, God said, I knew you. I knew you. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet over the nations. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew who you were, and he, God knew your purpose. And that ultimately, every one of us, every one of us, even you, are meant for something so much more. More than simply existing. Waking in the morning, going to work, returning from work, watching TV, going to bed, waking up, going to work, returning from work, paying some bills, going, watching TV, going to bed, to wake in the morning and to go to work, come home from work, pay your bills, go to sleep at night, awake in the morning to go to work. That is existing. And God has a dream for your life that is so much more than simply existing. It is a specific purpose for your life. And when you discover this, you can transition your life from simply existing to finally living. And your living can exist even within the current vocation and job and house and car you drive that you have right now. It's just that simple discovery of knowing why I'm here. The Bible says that without vision, people perish. Without that dream in your heart, people struggle and die. you got to catch that God has a dream for your life. Well, how do I know it? How do I know God's dream for my life? Well, Numbers chapter 12, this is what it says. God says, 
listen to my words. He says, when there is a prophet among you, the Lord revealed himself to them in visions, and I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house, and when I speak with him, with Moses, I speak face to face. Clearly, not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. So here's what I want you to know. If you want to know God's dream for your life, get to know God. God says, but my servant Moses is the most faithful in all my house. So with him, I speak face to face. And you, if you too can have the kind of faith that gets to know God in such a way that he can speak to you clearly, clearly and, and drop a vision, dropping dreams into your heart that you can have purpose again. So many of us, the, the world kind of guides us and directs us to find our career. I think it's, it's so common that the question that we ask teenagers is, what do you want to do with your life? What, do you, what, what kind of career do you think you'll have? What kind of college do you think you'll go to? What kind of career do you think you'll get from that degree? And we, and we chase career. And we should think along those paths. And we should be seeking those things. But career is not necessarily calling. Career is how you make a dollar. But calling is how you make a difference. And you can, when you find your calling and you make a difference, you can do that no matter your career. And we have people that serve on teams here at New Life. They're, they're serving kids right now. They're, 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 they, they serve the, 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 the needy through our, our food pantry teams. And, and they have all kinds of different careers, but, but, but they know what God has called them to. And, and many can leverage their career to make a difference. You need a career. You need, I think work is worship unto the Lord. We don't work, the scripture says, we don't work for man. We work for God. But career is how you make a dollar, but calling, calling's how we make a difference. You gotta find your calling. So if you wanna know God's dream for your life, you gotta get to know God. You gotta get to know God. You gotta, you gotta listen to his voice. You gotta know his, his word. If you wanna know God, if you wanna know your dream, the dream that God has for you, you got to know God. But the second thing I want you to know is that it's important that with the dream God gives you, that, that we have to be humble with the dream. Joseph was 17. God drops this dream in his heart. And what's he do? He's like, I can't wait to tell my brothers. I can't wait to tell them, hey, y'all, check this out. God gave me a dream. It's me standing, you bowing. They're like, you turd. You know, they, we... <laughs> We couldn't stand you. And I'm sure he, he's, like, he's like, oh, my brothers think I'm nothing. They can't say a kind word to me. I'll show them. I'm going to tell them this dream. I'm going to let them know. I'm going to stick it to them. Guess what? I'm standing. You're bowing. I'm going to let everybody know, as, as a 17-year-old would, right? you got to be humble with the dream. Proverbs 22.4, this is what it says. It, it, uh, it says, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages 
are riches and honor and life. Did you know that? Did you know that humility pays? Humility pays in riches, honor, and life. And so this is why we have to be so humble with the dream, that we're not prideful, that like, like look at the coat, look at the dream, I'm God's best, he's called me, he probably hasn't called you, but he's certainly called me. Have you ever had a dream? Well, I had a dream, let me tell you about it. It's so important to be humble with the dream because if you can't be humble with your dreams, then you actually can't handle your destiny. You have to learn how to be humble with the dream first. And what was Joseph's dream? Joseph's dream was that God was calling him to a high level of leadership, but he would never be able to to excel to that level of leadership without humility. And if you can't be humble with the dreams God has put in your heart, then you certainly can't handle the destiny that God has put forth for you in the dream itself. Humility is the pathway to actually reaching that final destination. If you're arrogant and you're prideful, you will, pride goes before the what? It goes before the fall, man. So we got to learn how to be humble first with the dream, not arrogant about it, We've got to be humble with the dream, because if, be, if you can't start with humility in the dream, you can't reach the destiny. And Joseph would go through a humbling process for many years. So in Genesis 37, it says, So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them near Dothan. And, but when they saw him in, in the distance, and before he reached them, watch this, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill this kid. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of this dude's dreams. Well, then Judah said to his brothers, well, hold on a second. What will we gain if we just kill our brother and cover up his blood. I have a better idea. Let's sell him to the uh, Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. And after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so they see this kind of caravan of Ishmaelites coming by and they sell their little brother into slavery for a dollar, for whatever the price is. What happened in the story is, they're like, there's that little kid, let's kill him. Okay, yeah, when he gets here, we're going to do this, we'll kill him, we'll throw him in the cistern, and, like, uh, and we'll do, then we'll go, dad, what are we going to tell dad? Oh, yeah, we'll tell dad that uh, a ferocious beast ate him. That's what we'll tell him, and uh, all will be fine. We'll get rid of this annoying kid, and it's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. Well, then Reuben, who was the oldest brother, uh, he shows up, and he hears of the plan, and Reuben, because he was the firstborn, he's the oldest son, he knew that his father would take it out on him and something happened with his little brother. So, that, that, so they're like, okay, uh, Reuben shows up, and he goes, we're not killing anybody. Um, so because if, he, if something happens to him, what am I going to do? So Reuben runs off, and when Reuben's away, that's when they're like, we won't hurt him. We'll sell him, okay? Reuben returns, and what do they do? They take Joseph's coat. Remember that fancy coat? And they kill a goat, and they put goat's blood on the coat, and they're like, I don't know what happened to him. A ferocious animal mauled him, ate him, the whole thing. The whole thing's gone. 
nobody. He's gone. And so they take it to their father, Jacob, who is just crushed. He tears his coat, and he is, he's in mourning, and uh, just, just terrible. And Joseph gets sold into slavery. And then at verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites then sold Joseph in Egypt to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So they sell Joseph. They must have got a, gave a good deal because then they upcharged Joseph to Potiphar, who is um, a, an official in Egypt. So, e, so the Pharaoh in Egypt, think of the Pharaoh, he's the king. And the king has you know, a COO, and that's Potiphar, okay? And so he sells him to Potiphar's house, and now this is where Jacob or Joseph is. And so Joseph finds himself, he had a dream, but he's going to find himself in the pits. He will find himself in the palace. He will also find himself in a prison long before any part of this dream comes to fruition. So what happens when the dream that God has given you is, is, I mean, you believe it, you have faith for it, but you find your life in the pits. Well, the pits is where your current circumstances are inconsistent with your current circumstances. So, I'm sorry, with your dreams. Your pits is when your current circumstances are inconsistent with your dreams. Has anybody been there before? Like, God, I know you've put a dream in my heart, but I look around me and I don't see how this could ever be a reality. It's inconsistent with the dream you've given me. I, I didn't imagine that, that you'd put this dream in my heart, but then I would have to face this health problem. That's inconsistent with the dream you gave me. Think of Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. She had this dream in her heart that she would have a son someday. But her, it was inconsistent with her current circumstances because she was now in her 90s and childless. So we have a couple decisions we can make when our current circumstances are inconsistent with the dream that God has given us. The first choice we can make is we can go ahead and choose to reduce our life to our present circumstances. Well, I guess that, it was, that dream was a fluke. And I guess I was just meant to be nothing. I guess that it was just a fluke. I guess I just have to settle for these current circumstances right here. That's, that's one choice that you could certainly make. Reduce your life to your present circumstances. But there, there's a second choice you can make, and that is this, to never allow circumstances to change the dream that God put in your heart. And that is ultimately what Joseph would choose to do. Joseph could have said, I guess I'll just be a slave, and I will reduce my life from this vision of leadership and calling, and I'll reduce it to that of a slave. And I'm just going to stay there. So that's one choice that you could make. But, the, but here's the thing, Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's what Joseph did. Watch what Joseph does when he finds himself in the pits. Genesis 39.1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was the Pharaoh's, one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph 
so that he prospered. I want you to know, when you find yourself in the pits, but you have this God-sized dream, I want you to remember, if I can do anything for you today, I want to remind you that God is with you in the pits. He is with you. And Joseph prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his whole house. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So Potiphar, the COO of all of Egypt, gives Joseph essentially the power of attorney over his life. I want you in charge of my money. I want you in charge of my stuff. I want you in charge of my house. I want you in charge of my staff. You're still a slave, but I want you in charge of everything. Why? Because he saw that the, everything Joseph touched, he, fa- he got favor for. Everything Joseph did became excellent. And so, so it goes on. From, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Crazy that Joseph found himself in the pits. He could have lowered his life expectations to a slave. But instead, you know what he did? He went to work. Joseph decided, I have a dream that God's called me to be a strong leader, and he's put that gift in my life, and I have that dream. So you know where I'm going to lead? I'm going to lead in the pits. I'm going to lead as a slave. And then Potiphar, then God began to show him favor, and Potiphar began to kind of elevate him from the pits. Now he finds himself in the palace. Why? Because he refused to allow the dream to die because of his current circumstances. He decided to allow the dream to live even in those current circumstances. So he became a slave that ended up leading all of Potiphar's house because he's still living with it from the calling he had in the dream. He's not living based upon the current circumstances he's facing. Verse 6, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than me. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. And how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Notice what he said. He's saying, my master, my master, my master. I'm honoring my master in everything I do. You're his wife. And I'm not going to even... uh, 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 be enticed by you because I don't want to sin against my master. No, he said, I don't want to sin against who? God. And, and, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, so she is tempting him, enticing him day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So here's a really great illustration of facing temptation. Get away. 
He said he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. So I would imagine it looked like this. Because how does he manage his master's home when she lives there? It probably looked like this. She came in the room and he left. Temptation came, he got out of Dodge. And this is a really good lesson for all of us today. When temptation comes, what's the best thing to do? Run! You get out. You get out. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, so he basically like, like slipped out of the coat with it in her hand, and he ran out of the house. And when, he, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, she called, now she calls the house servants back in. She says, look, this Hebrew has been, that has been brought to us to make a sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me. But I screamed, and when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. He got tricked. He got played. So here, here's the thing. When you're faithful to the dream in the pits, God will begin to elevate you to a place where you're no longer in the pits, but you find yourself in the palace. But don't let living in the palace, Joseph said, there's nobody more important than me. He knew it in this house. He knew that. God had elevated him to that place. But don't get apathetic in the place of the palace where you think you're better than you really are. Joseph was the greatest, but he kept humble knowing the dream. He didn't allow the power and the favor and the fame and the money and the status to get to his head that would allow him to do something immoral. So in the palace, the palace, palaces are the, the part of the journey to the dream that demands integrity. So, so Joseph has worked his way, God has elevated him to the palace. And what's the palace part of the dream? It requires integrity. It's the test of integrity. So now that you have favor, now that you have influence in your calling, now that you have influence in your career, now that people will answer, you, answer to you, and now that God has given you a little bit of power, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it for, for selfish reasons? Are you going to use your power to, to kind of begin to slip and slide, thinking that you're untouchable? No, the palace is the part of the dream where it's a test of integrity. So you have to, so one, in, in this place of the palace, what people believe about you is not more important than your behavior. So you might think that, well, I have this influence, I have this power, I'm rising, man, I'm, my dreams are starting to come true. Your integrity and behavior still matters more than what people believe about you. Because here's the thing, when you rise to a certain level of leadership, people will lie about you, as Potiphar's wife did. But you have to, you have to remember, they can lie, they can cheat, they can gossip about me, but I serve God not man. My 
integrity is to the Lord, not what people think. You can fire me from my position in Potiphar's house, but I will not sin against the Lord. He knew this. So it's the part of the dream where you have to begin to to really still focus on your personal integrity and ethics over what people think about you. And number two, remember that we do not serve man. We serve God. Why was Joseph so successful in Potter's house? Because he didn't work for Potiphar. He worked for God. Why was Joseph so successful in resisting temptation? Because he didn't want to just upset Potiphar because that's his wife. He wasn't going to sin against God. Because it was the dream, it was the call in his life he was, he was committed to. He was committed to the call, not the career. There's a difference. He was committed to the call. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who was crooked in his ways. And Joseph was willing to go back to the pits from the palace if it meant doing the right thing, even when nobody was looking. Better to be poor with integrity than rich and crooked. Genesis 39, 20. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. Because here's what happens in the story. The wife accuses him of something he didn't do. Potiphar, as you can imagine, was upset. And he had Joseph thrown into prison. Chained in prison. But while he was there, the Lord was with him. He showed kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden (laughs) puts Joseph, a prisoner, in charge of all those held in the prison. You see, because God had a call on his life. He had a God-sized dream that was still alive in any circumstance, whether the pit, whether the palace, whether the prison. Whatever, Whatever situation, he was still walking in God's call. He refused to reduce his life to his circumstances. He would just allow that call to become a reality wherever he was. So the Lord was with him. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid not attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He chased calling. He didn't chase career. So now you find yourself in a prison. I, God's given me this dream. I've got this God-sized dream. I've been to the pits. I've been to the palace. But I find myself in prison. Here's the thing. Prison is helping others' dreams come true while you're still waiting for yours. Because while in the prison, people started having dreams and didn't know what to do with them. Pharaoh started having dreams. And he would call all of his sorcerers and, and, and all those in witchcraft and say, help me interpret these dreams. And no one knew how, but they heard about this boy in the prison, this little Hebrew boy in prison. And he would come and he would interpret Pharaoh's dreams and, and begin to find favor. And so he, he's in a place where he's been in the pits, he's been in the palace. Now he finds himself in prison, but now he's helping other people's dreams come true. He's still serving humbly. He's still running, he's running the prison. He's helping others' dreams come true while he's still waiting for his. Could you do something like that? Could you do something like that? You know, uh, I, like I said, I love Joseph's story. It's one that has resonated with me. You know, I've spent, uh, I, 
See, I've been in ministry almost 16 years, I think 15 years, and for 12 years, um, I always had a supportive role. Uh, whether I was an associate pastor or I was a worship pastor or I was a youth pastor, I always had a, a, a lead pastor that I had to serve. And it was, and I always tried to, I read you know, through this story and, and, and through God leading me, I always felt like my role as a staff at a, at a church was to make my pastor look the best, to make my pastor's vision come true. And I was there to serve his vision, not my own personal vision. And I, and I, and I always prayed, and I, and I hope it's true, God, I want to be the kind of staff pastor that maybe I'll have someday. And, and, and so, and we see this in Joseph. He's, he's, he's not just helped the Pharaoh or the Potiphar. He's helped the warden in prison. And this is a mark of true, mature character. When you can help other people's dream come true, when you're still waiting on yours. Can you be happy for those that are winning in areas of their lives when you feel like you're losing in that area? Can you say, wow, I'm so proud of you, man. I'm so happy for you that your kid is excelling in school and you know maybe your kid is struggling. I'm so happy that you got that promotion because I know you've been working hard, you've been faithful, even though you're waiting for yours. Can, it is a sign of mature character that you can still serve others in the waiting. Ephesians 6 says this, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Here's the third thing I want you to know. I want you to know that there is purpose when dreams are delayed. Listen very closely. There is purpose when the dream God gave you is delayed. I want you to remember that God's delay is never God's disregard. Joseph's delay was actually development. He has this big dream. And maybe God has given you a big dream and you're wondering what's the hold up here what's the delay it's not delay it's development and God is trying to develop you in the delay to be able to handle the dream ultimately here's what would happen with Joseph yes he found himself in a prison after he rose from the pit after he rose after he fell from the palace from being lied about and in prison, God still showed him favor. He began to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh began to recognize the, the leadership on this man's life. And Joseph, a Hebrew slave of Egypt, rose to becoming second in command, not of the Potiphar's house, not of the prison. He became second in command of the entire empire of Egypt under Pharaoh because of his wisdom and because of his guidance, he began to, he became in charge of, of, of a series of events that would end up saving the entire empire of Egypt from starvation and the world around them through his leadership. Wow. All of that took place. But he could have never been able to handle that level of leadership and of knowledge and wisdom if he hadn't been developed with the delay. He was 17 years old when God gave him a dream. 
and from the dream until the day that he kind of fulfilled that final purpose that he had in the dream was 22 years. 22 years of delay. But it wasn't delay. It was 22 years of development to develop his character, to give him experience. It tested his integrity. Would he be faithful with little things and faithful with big things? It was 22 years of development so he could handle the dream. So God's delay is not God's disregard. Delay is development. Now our tendency, I don't know about you, but maybe it's just my tendency, is in the waiting is I am whining. Maybe it's just me. But many, maybe, maybe a couple other people that in the waiting were just whining. God, why them, not me? Why them, not me? Why, why so long? Why so long? I was 17. Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it wasn't a dream of yours for, for my life. Why so long? We, in the waiting, we end up whining. And when we whine during the waiting, you know what we do with the waiting period? We wasted it. Because the delay was supposed to be your development. That God started developing you with that entry-level job. God started developing you in that, that season of life in your marriage. God was developing you when you just had one kid. Now you have 700. Feels that way sometimes. God was developing you when you had to manage that little area or of your life or that area of your work. It's development. But if you whine in the waiting, you waste the waiting. You waste the developmental period. But God hasn't called us to whine in the waiting. Like Joseph, you know what he's called us to do in the waiting? Work. Work in the waiting. And by doing so, you'll be developed for the dream. Listen, God still has bigger dreams in my heart for life, for ministry. I have spent seasons of my life whining. I have. And I recognize I wasted years of development. And God still has greater vision and, and things he's placed in, in my heart and Jenny and I's hearts. So you know what it's time to do? Keep working. Be faithful to what's right in front of you. You've, have you been whining about your marriage and relationship? Get to work. You'll have the marriage of your dreams if you'll just go to work for it. You've been whining about your kids? Stay faithful. Keep working at it. Keep getting better. Keep developing yourself. Keep developing them. And you'll have the family of your dreams. You've been whining about your workplace, and when you go to work, you're whining about your boss, cut the whining, start working like Joseph worked, because he grew to a leader in a pit and a leader in a prison, and he ended up leading it all, but he couldn't handle it all if he didn't learn the humility it took in the first place. The word says, he was faithful with the little, will be given much more. If you feel like you're in a waiting period, you're looking for that dream to come true. Let's just change our mind about this delay and see it as this is development so I can handle the dream. So do not abort. Be careful not to abort the purpose of the delay because you didn't have the perspective to see the delay correctly. Because here's the thing. If you are going to have the courage 
to dream a God-sized dream, you will need the courage to endure. If, you are, if you're going to have the courage to dream, you need the courage to endure. So Joseph received his dream at 17. It took 22 years for it to come, become a reality. 13 of those 22 years, he was either in prison or he was in slavery for 13 of those 22 years. So here's the hard truth. Delays in the dream requires perseverance. This is not a popular concept in our culture today. We want insta dreams. We don't want God-sized dreams. We want automatic dreams, immediate dreams. We don't want God-sized dreams because we live in a microwave world, but we have a crockpot God. And if you ever throw a lean cuisine in the microwave, it's not the same as that crockpot meal that sat on the counter for six hours. It's just not. People want that insta dream. But God's not in the business of birthing dreams that we disregard when the delays become demoralizing. If we have the courage to dream, we have to have the courage to endure. We don't need a, a, a perseverance when we first get the dream. That's exciting. When you first get that dream that God put in your heart, that's exciting. You don't need perseverance. Our excitement is enough to get us started. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you're guilty of starting the process of the dream and it fizzles out. And then you start the process and it fizzles out. We don't need perseverance when the finish line is in sight. Again, our excitement will catapult us to, uh, it won't catapult us complete to completion. Our excitement may get us started, but perseverance will get it finished. We need perseverance in the middle. Everything feels harder in the middle. When you feel like I started this forever ago, but you can't see the finish line yet. You're in the middle. That's where you need perseverance the most. If the middle looks like, it looks bleak. The middle feels like defeat. The middle feels like failure. The middle is heavy, but don't stop working. We work in the waiting. Don't abandon God's purpose and that dream, that call in your life. Don't give up when you feel like quitting. It's a little messy in the middle, but God is at work in the middle, and he's working on you, preparing you, positioning you for that promise that's at the end of the finish line. You will experience delays toward your dreams, just like Joseph did. But in the, if the dream is truly from the Lord, it will be worth it. The victory will be sweet. Despite the windy road that you may have traveled to get there, it is worth it. I'll leave you with this last thought. Maybe we aren't supposed to follow our dreams. Maybe we're supposed to follow God and our dreams will follow you. It didn't matter if Joseph was in the pit, in the palace, in the prison, or when he found the promise. Maybe he wasn't chasing his dream after all. Maybe he was just chasing God. 
And in the prison, he was there. And in the pit, God was there. In the palace, God was there. At Chrysler, God is there. In the marketplace, God's there. At your address, God is there. Maybe the world's been telling us it wrong for too long. Follow your dreams. Maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe if we just follow God, our dreams will catch up to us and we'll fulfill our purpose in life. Would you stand with me this morning? This morning we're going to pray, and I'm, I'm actually I'm going to ask if our prayer teams, if any members of our prayer teams are here, if you would come and just find a place down front, uh, any members of our prayer team, uh, uh, you can begin to find yourself and get in position here. And I just want to invite you. We're going to sing one last song like we usually do. But I want to offer you a time of response. And if you need prayer in your life for anything, whether it's related to this message today or not, maybe you just need someone to pray with you and believe uh, with you for something uh, you can come and find a prayer team member, or you can even come and just find a spot uh, by yourself. They'll leave you alone. But if you want someone to agree with you in prayer, and maybe, maybe you need that little bit of encouragement that I'm in the middle, and the middle's tough, and would you agree with me? Maybe you just need that encouragement today. Uh, as we sing this last song, please feel free to come and, and find prayer this morning for that God-sized dream. Maybe that God would put a God-sized dream in your heart. Any need whatsoever, you can come and pray. But Father, right now, Lord, we're... I just pray that you would continue to birth a vision and a dream in our hearts bigger than our reality. For those that are right now, God, that their current circumstances don't align with the dream, that they will remember the the God that originally called them. We won't just just surmise ourselves to our current circumstances. We will align ourselves to the God of the dream. You're the one we're after. Would you have your way in us? I pray that dreams will still be coming alive in the hearts of people. Maybe it's an old dream from when we were 17. Would you fan it back into flame? And in the delay, we would be developed to fulfill the dream in Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, feel free to come down front for prayer.